add my welcome to Pastor Malcolm's this morning. Uh, look, just another quick announcement was RI, which is called, which is short for Religious Instructions, happens in our primary schools uh, most weeks of the school term. And um, th- th- there's a need for more RI teachers, but there's just a need for general support. Uh, so what's happened is they've put a little survey out, and uh, you can access that survey at the front desk, uh, information desk, uh, via QR code on your phone, just by taking, just putting the camera up. It'll send you to a, a link, and it'll just have a survey. Um, the survey uh, can be done in about three minutes, but it's just gauging some interest in that particular ministry in our city and region. Um, look, the other thing is, if you can't do it on your phone, that's okay. There's a hard copy uh, that you can just um, uh, fill out and hand it back to the information desk. Is that cool? Great. Thank you. Ah, great. Isn't it beautiful weather lately? Yeah. So I always like it this time of year in Gladstone. So uh, just great temperatures. You know, uh, I was just um, out early yesterday morning. It was about 12 degrees and it was just beautiful, beautiful. Uh, the sun was out. It was lovely. Um, I want to uh, start the series this, uh, this uh, today. Uh, uh, a series will probably run for about three weeks. And uh, it's just trusting God when life hurts. Um, it's not a series that I want to say, you know, talk about all the down, you know, oh, you know, life is miserable, there's always problems. No, no, that's not the passion of it. But the passion is just for us to see that there's an incredible uh, uh, way forward in life and that every one of us face the speed bumps in life. And sometimes they're not just speed bumps, they're quite major uh, roadblocks, I suppose. And, and uh, you know, how do we negotiate that? How do we move on through life? Uh, and so that would be my passion and I believe... God wants to speak to our hearts, and, and so today I want to do it looking at the life of a, uh, uh, a man called David. Uh, David was the shepherd boy, remember? He was the one who took out Goliath. Uh, he was the one who eventually became king of uh, Israel, and uh, for many, many years, the longest, one of the longest serving kings. Uh, but David left us a portfolio of his life. He shows us, uh, you could read in the Old Testament part of the Bible, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, but he left us some of his deepest thoughts and emotions, and he left them in the form of songs and poems. Uh, in the Bible, they're called the Psalms. And of the 150 Psalms, David wrote uh, at, at least 73 of them. And so he's quite the um, prolific writer of those Psalms. And the Jewish people you've got to appreciate, didn't have the New Testament part of the Bible like we have today. We've got new and old. They just said the old. And so they would take the Psalms and they use them as personal devotions. Or they'd sing them at special times. And so they were quite um, important to people. And the Psalms basically was a journal of people's life stories. If you were to write your life story, um, this would, it'd be, uh, you'd write down the events and how it happened and how you felt at the time and what you said and what you did. And that's what exactly the Psalms are like. They show us insight into people's lives. And for David, there was a time in his life when he was treated um, very unjustly and a uh, difficult time for him. And that time was when his son Absalom rose up and not just tried to take the throne off his father, but took the throne off his father for a, a period of about three years. Um, he had a military coup against his father. David had to flee Jerusalem, had to flee across the Jordan River into the desert area um, of Jordan. Um, and it was a difficult time for David. He had to leave family, he had to leave home, uh, a safe place. 
And so as you can appreciate that, uh, that type of thing happening just with a, a person who wasn't your family member, let alone a family member now, rises up against you. And um, so it was a very difficult time, uh, you can appreciate. And David uh, fled across to the desert. Uh, he was about 60 years of age, quite young still. Um, um, thank you. Some of it must be a young crowd, yep. Absalom's, uh, you know, and Absalom's attack on David was premeditated. Uh, in actual fact, for four years, Absalom had been kind of planning and plotting. If you read in, in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 18, uh, that, that particular book, you'll see that, that how Absalom was. And Absalom obviously was a bitter young man who had harbored some um, attitudes and thoughts against his father. And thus, he now he took the opportunity to push him out of his throne and take control of it. Uh, look, the story does end that Absalom, in the end, tragically met his death. And David came back and became back on his throne and ruled Israel and Judea again and, and Judah again. And, um, so, um, but it, for three years, there was a lot of pain for David. His own son uh, wanted him dead. Uh, and so this morning, in this series, I want to start off with just this simple thought, and that is, is that trust in God when life's unfair. Have you had any unfair moments lately? Had someone cut you off in traffic? And, uh, and uh, or you had someone who's decided to give you a spray and you really didn't deserve it? I was, I was, um, I was parking my car one day in Bramston Street in, in the main area of town in Gladstone. I was going to the arts the Gladstone Art Art Museum or Art Gallery there, and, and one of my daughters had a picture there that she'd put into a uh, uh, art competition. I was going to see it with her and my wife, and and so I parked the car and, and behind the car that was in front of me, in Bramson Street, and um, and they'd parked their car fairly much on the limit of their car park, the white line, and and so I kind of to get my car in, I kind of parked about three quarters, about that far away from them, I suppose. I, and there was no car parked in front of them, so I, I, I thought they'll get away easily. It's not a problem. Anyway, I went in, through calls and air, I came out, and plastered, put up underneath my windscreen wiper was not just a little note, it was a full page. I thought, okay. Usually when you have those type of things happen, somebody wants to say something because they're not happy. And so I took it off there and I started to read it and, it and it certainly was someone who was incredibly upset with me personally. And the reason they were upset is they, they had felt that I'd parked them in. And what had happened while I was away and I parked while I'd parked behind him, someone else had parked in front of him and really did. Uh, and it became quite, must have been quite difficult for him to get out. Mind you, his car was not there, so he must have got out. Um, and the car, and I was still there, and the car in front was still there, but I thought I could see why he was upset. But the thing that really was a little bit hard to take for me personally was the language he used. And, uh, you know, um, it was quite graphic and quite, um, uh, let's just say, he, 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 uh, he described me in un no uncertain terms using some incredible words that uh, I haven't heard for, of for a long time. And, the, um, and what I was. And I thought, how does he know? How can he say those things against me? He doesn't even know me. I mean, you know, I'll, 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 even if I run into him in the street, I wouldn't know because he doesn't know what I look like. I don't know what he looks like. In fact, he could be here this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Who was that? Was that you, Tony? <laughs> you're, you're very good, yeah, yeah. I never knew you could use such language. Anyway, my title is Trusting, life, Trusting God When Life's Unfair because I, I, I to, sincerely and, and um, seriously, it really did cut me for a moment. And I never showed it to my wife, I never showed it to my children because it was a, quite a, a disgusting letter, to be honest. Um, and I, we were going to dinner at Hog's Breath and I, I, I kind of sent them off. And, and I, I really, it just really um, bowled me over for a few minutes in the, like, my emotions. And I was just, um, I was thinking, far out. Th- this man's angry. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I had to deal with that and I had to forgive him or, you know, I couldn't move on. There was a whole lot of emotions going on. So let me read. David was facing, we've got the scene, David's facing the um, his son has taken over his throne it, it's an unfair treatment of david it's unjust and yet david uh, uh, takes off leaves his throne absalom uh, takes it and we see the response of david in psalm chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 can i read it to you this morning it says this it says lord this is david speaking lord how they have increased who trouble me many are are they who rise up against me Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord for my, with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. So, first thing, verse one, first point. Lord, how have they increased? It, David says, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are those who rise up against me. David uses, notice here, the word many. Now, he, the, the Bible translators have translated whatever David said in Hebrew into an English word. So the Hebrew word would have been this English word, basically, and they thought the best word was many. Now, David is right in saying many because many had stayed in David's court um, um, and, and, ser- and stayed and served Absalom. So many of his um, servants, but... Um, but while you, when you read the story in 2 Samuel of this account, you'll see that it wasn't many who rose up personally against David. Despite all the people who followed Absalom, um, the truth is, when you read the story in 2 Samuel, the truth is, it, it, they probably just followed out of faithfulness for, to the throne and not faithfulness to Absalom. Uh, because the truth is, is if you became king, you know, who, you could kill who you wanted to kill and you could keep alive who you wanted to keep alive. And so a lot of the people who couldn't go with David and flee would have just stayed in the kingdom and said, okay, we'll just serve the throne, keep the peace, keep our head on our shoulders, stay alive. And so while there were many people who were faithful to the throne, if you read it, there wasn't a lot of people at all who were faithful to Absalom. They were just faithful to the throne. And, you know, um, so the throne was not necessarily um, something that the people, um, as I said, they were faithful to it and, and not to Absalom. So David wasn't wrong in saying many had risen up because up, they did stay with Absalom. But the truth is, David, it wasn't, it was, um, when he said many are against me, it wasn't totally correct. And in, in fact, it became, um, it felt David... Um, it, it felt like he was become emotionally 
uh, involved in this moment, and he un- he exaggerates the point because of his, in- his it, it, because of the emotion of the moment, and because it's his son. He says many, and when really it wasn't many. If you read the story, it was just literally one, and it was Absalom who would rose up against him. There was was one or two others who maybe who joined Absalom with all their hearts, but literally it wasn't many. And my point this morning is that we have to be careful in the emotional state of sometimes facing things that are unjust, and you can't let your mind magnify the problem because that's what happens sometimes. We start to use words that, that, that unru- unrightly magnify the issue in our own mind, and it becomes bigger than it really is. And that's, that can be dangerous for us because of... You know, when a person's feeling desperate and emotional about a situation, they can overstate something sometimes. And the enormity of the situation becomes exaggerated. Um, and so when, when we allow those things to become exaggerated in our own minds, they can create unnecessary anxiety and hurt and forgiveness and passions and desires that just really we don't need at the time, but they've become too big. And so we think those things and it really does eat us up on the inside and we don't need that. And that's the danger of sometimes exaggerating what really isn't that true. And David, in his sincerity and understandably in his emotion of what his son's done to him, he says, many are against me when really it wasn't many. And we've got to be careful because there's moments of injustice against us and they become magnified in our minds and we make them bigger than they really are. Bigger than they really are. And we speak words or we think words that we don't need to think. You know, have you ever heard someone say, many people don't like me, many. Well, how many is that? Oh, well, two. Or someone may say, uh, you know, you never put the bin out. What, never? Well, I did last week. Or someone may say, you always burn my toast. Always, always. Always? I didn't last month. And so we've got to be careful we don't, we don't exaggerate because in the moment our emotion spills over and we start to speak things. And those words that we speak will, uh, will sometimes um, eat away because we allow worry, anxiety, revenge, hatred and and eventually sometimes bitterness because we allow this thing to become much bigger in our minds than it ever meant to be and ever was and and for David that's the part of the problem that that's a problem here do you remember there's in in Genesis chapter chapter 3 Satan comes along to Adam and Eve it was a creation story and Adam and Eve are minding their own business and 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 Satan comes to Eve first of all and he says to her he says to Eve he says uh, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden was that true? Every tree? How many trees was it, folks? One tree. Thank you, Dorcas. You heard this morning. <laughs> You've been here twice. It was only one tree. What is Satan doing? He's trying to exaggerate it in the eyes and trying to discredit God in the eyes of Eve and Adam. He's trying to discredit God. You know, Satan's plan is never to say God is not true. He'll never say that to you. His plan is just to discredit God in your eyes. And so what he says, what he says uh, to Eve is, every tree, God's told you, every tree of the garden, you can't eat from that. No, it was just one tree. Just one tree. And so sometimes when we have to give up something that we really like, it's just one thing. We say, God, why are you making me give this up? It's just one thing that wants to destroy your life. You've got so much more that God wants to bless you with. 
So Satan magnifies what God really said to discredit God. What does that mean for us? Well, we magnify the problem of injustice and it all causes emotional turmoil. As I said, anger, revenge, hatred, anxiety, worry. And David had to learn this lesson that whatever you magnify can become all-consuming church. And, you know, you've got to be careful what you magnify. Because in the emotion of the moment, you feel like it's the end of the world. But it's not the end of the world. You're just making it the end of the world <laughs> through what you think and what you say. And we've got to be careful. So we've got to learn, to, and David learned that he had to magnify something else instead of magnifying the problem. He learned to magnify God. He actually says in Psalm 69, he says, I will praise the name of the God in, my so- in, in a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Magnify means to overstate something. And while we should never overstate what, this world, what happens in this world or the unjust treatment, we can overstate and magnify God because whatever praise you give to God, He's always worthy of it and He's bigger than that anyway. You can never magnify our God enough because the truth is He is loving and merciful and caring towards you and it'll never be enough. He could always give you more. So you can never, out, you can never overstate it with God, but you can overstate it with the things that happen to us. And so my first simple thought is when we have injustice happen, don't let your mind magnify the problem, because it'll consume you if you allow those emotions to eat away at your spirit. And that's why we sometimes have people with physical sickness, is because worry, anxiety eats away at them, releases certain hormones and just creates things like ulcers or, or, or anxiety or problems or, or stress or, and all those type of things. And, you know, you know, that's not where we need to live our life. God never planned it for that. So we've got to be careful. What we Don't let your mind magnify that which doesn't need to be magnified. Here's the second thing. Many, in verse 2, uh, verse 2 says, Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. This is, this is what David's writing down. He's writing this. Notice he's saying it. Many, he's saying, you know what? There's people out there who are saying, there is no help for me from God. There's a whole bunch of people saying, God's left him. David, if you, if you were really with God, you wouldn't have to flee your throne. You wouldn't have to run out of Jerusalem over the other side of the Jordan. If, if God was really with you, you wouldn't have this problem. If God was really with you, you wouldn't have people write notes and put it on your windscreen and tell how bad you are. If God was really with you, you wouldn't have flat tires. If God was really with you, you'd never get sick. If God was really with you, you'd never have problems. See, the trouble is we try we equate Sometimes, oh, this problem is because either I haven't been good enough or God doesn't really care. And both are a lie of the devil. Because like David says here, they're saying there's no help from me from God. David is stating what people are saying. David knew that that was not actually true. Because we see in verse 3 and 4, of this psalm, we see clearly that David, he changes tact, okay? And we'll come to that. But we see David knew it wasn't true. But nonetheless, it was very loud in his mind. And David was in good company because they said the same thing about Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. The religious leaders said, as Jesus hung on the cross, they said this, he trusted in God. It's in uh, Matthew 27, verse 43. He trusted in God. Let him, let God deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I'm, because he said, I'm the son of God. Can you hear what, can you hear the Pharisees and the religious leaders? 
you know, if God is interested in him, let God bring him off the cross. If God's interested, in other words, um, trying to uh, trying to state that uh, you know, once again, slander God, slander Jesus Christ, and say God's not interested in His Son. See, can you see that's a common thread throughout the world sometimes? There's always this voice that wants to say, God is not interested in you. God doesn't care for you. And it's a lie, folks. It's a lie. Satan doesn't want to, doesn't want to um, dispute God's reality. He just wants to dispute that God hates you. He just wants, to, you to, he wants you to think that. He's not interested in you. God's not interested in your injustice. He doesn't care. The disciples one day, uh, the um, believers in Jesus, those 12 who became Jesus' disciples, were in a boat on the Lake of Galilee. And a storm blew up, and Jesus was in the boat. He was just asleep in the boat. He was in the back of the boat on a pillow. Isn't it interesting how they wrote that in the Scriptures? Jesus was so he was asleep on a pillow. He was comfortable. And there was a storm raging, so much so, the storm started to encroach upon their boat, and the waves started to come over the edge. I've been on the Lake of Galilee on a really good day, so um, thank, praise God for that. But the reality is, at certain times of the, of the uh, season in, in that area, the, the cold winds from Jerusalem, which is um, 700 meters above sea level, come down upon the Lake of Galilee, which is a, below sea level, hit the hot winds of there and creates this perfect opportunity for storms to erupt. And because when you look at the Lake of Galilee, you think, how could fishermen and, and the disciples ever be in trouble in a boat on this lake? Well, it, it, it is possible because there comes an incredible climate situation that's perfect for storms to erupt and so they're in the storm the waves are breaking over the boat they're fearing for their life and we see what the disciples said to Jesus um, they woke him up and they said teacher do you not care that we are perishing do you not care for us <coughs> don't you care what got them to this attitude that God didn't care well the thoughts that they were going to drown and their panic and fear got the hold of them. And sometimes that can be our case. We're thinking, God, 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 aren't you going to do something here? It's, you, you know, I, I've, situation is big. I, God, do you care for me? And, and I've prayed. And, and God, you don't seem interested. And nothing's happening. And, and you know, God, you, you know, if, if maybe you're for me, this would never happen in the first place. And, and all these type of things unfold. And we think, God, oh, where are you right now? And we think he's abandoned us. And I want to tell you that we've got to settle it in our hearts right now that we can trust him even when things like, when it seems like God's not doing anything. I want you to understand that God is never not doing anything on your behalf. It's just that you don't see it often. You don't see the initial things he's doing, but sometimes in the seasons ahead, you see and you look back and say, ah, I know what was happening now. But at the time, it can be difficult. I was eight years of age. I just moved into Gladstone. I was going to a school, for the, um, going to a new school. And uh, where I lived before, I used to walk to school. It was just a couple hundred meters. It was easy. All my life, it was really easy to walk to school. But now I had to catch a bus. And, and Gladstone was a new town, a new city. And, and so I was told this afternoon, you've got to catch a bus. And I'm thinking, what bus? And I was, I was a bit sketchy. Mum and dad were a bit sketchy on in information. They just said, you know, you'll be right. Just catch the bus. I'm thinking, oh, well, there must be only one bus. Well, that afternoon, I'm hanging over the fence at West Primary School. And I'm looking, and there's a lot of buses coming and going. And none of them had my name on it. 
And I'm thinking things like, mum and dad are just, what are they thinking? They've just abandoned me. And then here I am, I'm eight, and, and, you know, I was a bit of a sook, so I started to cry and, you know, trying to hide it, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, you know, and, and um, finally I'm thinking, this bus is coming and going. I'm just going to jump on a bus. I don't know where I'm going. I could end up in, in another world. Exaggeration, but you know, as an eight-year-old, things like I could end up in, in Brisbane or something. I don't know where I am. What's going to happen? So I jumped on this bus. I thought that'll do. I just jump on this bus, tears in my run down my face. I get onto the bus, trying to hide everything, and you know, and, and it was so full. I just had to stand the aisle, and and, and I'm going, oh God, what is happening? I, well, I wasn't crying out to God, but you know, at the, at the time I was, um, I probably had a knowledge of God. I'd been to Sunday school, but I, I wasn't yet committed my life to Christ. So, uh, you know, I'm just standing there and, and really scared. And then all of a sudden, I heard my name. It was God. No, no, it wasn't. It was the bus driver. <laughs> it was the bus driver. And he called my name out. He says, there is James Hewitt on this bus. Yeah, it's me. I walked back up the aisle. And the bus driver looked at me and said, so you're James Hewitt? I, and I said, yes. He says, your mum has told every bus driver that whoever hops on their bus, they must ask for your name because we all know which bus you need to hop on and it's not this one, so hop off. <laughs> Far out. I said, okay. He said, it's the next bus. Hopped off the bus, hopped on the next bus. It took me to my street. I hopped off the bus and there was my home. It was amazing. I realized right then that my mum and dad hadn't abandoned me. They'd gone before me. Don't believe that the lie that God doesn't care for you. My mum had literally told every bus driver in Gladstone who, who had school buses that you've got to call out his name, and if he's on the bus, put him on the right bus. Your God calls out your name every day of your life. You're just not listening sometimes. And he says, you know what, I'm going to make sure every day of your life you're going to get on the right bus. I want to help you. If only you'll just give me your time sometimes. He goes before us. Here's the third thing. If the first thing was that we've got to stop magnifying the problem, the second thing is that we need to not believe the lie that God doesn't care. The third thing is found in verse 3. But David said, but you, O Lord, here is the switch now. First two verses, uh, David is stating the obvious cases of what's against him. Now he says, but. If you ever see a but, when David writes a but, it's there for a reason because he's changing course. But, and, obvious, uh, 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 and all of the time David says, but, he's, he's about to say, but God. You know what? You need to have more but gods in your life. This is the problem, God. But I know that you can come through. And David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. The glory and the one who lifts my head. What does David remind himself of here? He's remembering my glory. He's remembering my glory and the one who lifts up my head. In other words, the glory on me, because my glory refers to how it was God's glory in his life and not his own church. It wasn't his glory. It was God's glory on him. And not David's physical persona, not his charismatic personality, which he probably had. It was God's glory on him. God's touch upon his life. 
what that means is that everything right and good and integral about David is because of God's favor and mercy on him. I want to say to you today, every good and wonderful thing about your life is because God's mercy and grace upon your life. And you may say, well, that's not true. I'm my own man. I can live my own life. I'm my own woman. Woman, sorry. I can do what I want. You know, I'm, I, I make my own decisions. Well, folks, if you just stop for a moment and heard what God was speaking to you, you'll find His grace and mercy is upon you and has been there since the great part, the start of life. And even if you don't acknowledge Him, He still gives you air to breathe. He still gives you life. It's His grace. He's longing for you to come to Him, but He just gives you His grace. We live and move and be because of God, have our being because of Him. And David's great statement here is saying, my glory is it's because of your glory. And you're the one who will eventually lift my head, God. It's not going to be just my great character, great personality. Praise God for all those things. My great charisma. Praise God for those things. Not my great ability. My smarts. I'm an incredibly intelligent God and it's going to get me through. No, he says, it's going to be you in me. It's going to lift, and you're going to lift my head one day. In other words, David humbly and submitted himself to the Lord. Humbly bowed his heart. And I want to tell you, if you ever want God to connect with you, just humbly bow to him. And as you bow humbly, as you go low, it's amazing how he lifts you up. He wants you to rise. You know, you're facing, if you're facing today something that's a struggle, an unjust uh, uh, treatment, I, I'm so good that there, there comes a day when he will lift your head as we humbly just bow our heart. He wants to lift our head. Sometimes, as I said, we can say, well, my intellectual ability, praise God for your intellectual ability. Praise God for all the knowledge you have. But ultimately, when was the last time you read his word and it spoke to you? You say, my ability gets me through. All the good things I'm good at get me through. Well, praise God for your abilities. But when was the last time you gave God the issue in prayer and said, God, I need you? Because that's what David's doing. He said, you know, ultimately, God, I may be exiled from my throne, from part of my family, I'm out here in the desert in a tent. I'm thankful for the people that are around me. But ultimately, God, you know what, God? You're going to be the one who lifts my head one day again. It's okay. I'm just going to humble myself before you, God. I'm just going to let you. I, I surrender my life. I've got no one else but you, God. I mean, he had, a lot of, he had people who'd come with him. But he knew his need. And your identity is not in your ability. And your identity is not need to be wrapped up in whether people like you or don't like you. Because you know that day when that, that, that letter came on my windscreen and I read it. You know, there was a thing I had to work through. And that was the thing that I was concerned of what maybe people thought of me. And when this guy wrote all those disgusting and terrible things about me, you know, um, in a sense, it was showing me that I just needed, I had to surrender from and surrender the attitude on, that don't be concerned what people think about you. Just be concerned of what, what God thinks about you. And God thinks you've got incredible uh, possibilities and that you can rise again. And sometimes I, I had to work through that. And that's what I learned from that situation. Because that day, I remember as I sent my wife and, and daughter off to the restaurant, I looked at that paper and I walked down an alley between two buildings 
And I say, God, this is, I've got to deal with this now because I don't want it to take it into the situations. Because when you harbor a situation, you then unfortunately allow it to consume you. I don't need this to consume me, God. I need to surrender it to you before I go any further in life. And, and so I had to realize and, and said, God, what is it about, about this situation, this disgusting things that have been said about me here? A guy who doesn't even know me. Why am I so upset? And I realized because I was sometimes get concerned about what people think of me. And I had to deal with that and say, you know what, God, I don't need to be concerned what people think of me in the right way. You don't walk around just giving everybody the, you know, um, a mouthful and say, I don't care what you think of me. No, no, not that attitude. But in the end, I had to see that the most important thing about it was what God thought of me. And it's in Him I live and move and have my being. So, before Peter was a disciple of Jesus, he was a great fisherman. And one day he was out fishing all night and he caught nothing. And uh, he comes back into shore and he was really disappointed and he was really tired. And uh, he'd had enough because he hadn't caught anything. And so he's washing his nets before he goes home to bed. And Jesus turns up on the shore. A lot of people turn up and Jesus has to speak to them. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you mind if I just hop in your boat, push it off about two or three meters from the shore, and I can just have a better platform to speak to these people by. And Peter said, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Hop in. And Jesus, Peter... I did that, and Peter kept on washing his uh, nets in the shallow water. I've been at the Lake of Galilee and seen where they believed that incident happened. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, whether it did or not doesn't really matter, but it was a great, a great moment. But um, so, um, so Jesus speaks, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. He finishes, and then he, the people start to disperse. Then Jesus turns to Peter and, and says, Peter, um, how about you go out fishing again? Cast out, you know, um, go out to the deep and let down your nets for a catch great statement if peter had picked up on that he wouldn't have been he would have picked up on that jesus was saying it's not just a maybe it's gonna catch you're not gonna go out and catch nothing you're gonna catch something anyway peter says oh lord i've been fishing all night have you ever had the reasons where you don't want to do something i don't want to do that lord I don't want to say sorry to them. It hurts. I just, they hurt me too much. <laughs> I, I, no, I don't want to go and do all those things, God. You know, that means effort. I'm just tired, God. Anyway, um, I'm getting off the point. Um, someone needs to hear that. Um, but, you know, Peter, um, Peter finally says to Jesus, Jesus, okay, teacher, um, because you've said it, um, you know, your word, because you said it, I'll do it. And so Peter goes out and he catches the biggest catch of fish he's ever caught in his life. I know that for a fact because it filled his boat and he had to get John and Peter's boat over as well and filled their boat. And it was so full of fish that the boat was literally, um, you know, so heavy in the water. The water was, you know, nearly lapping over the sides. And Peter finally gets all the fish in, the pulls the net in, and then he's there sitting on the floor. I wrap all these fish around him and he looks up at Jesus and he says, he says, Jesus, would you go away from me because I'm a sinful man? And right at that moment, what was literally happening was Peter. Peter was coming to the understanding of his unworthiness to receive such a... He knew it was a miracle. That's a miracle. He knew he was unworthy. Compared to Jesus, he was unworthy. 
And this loudmouth fisherman realized at that moment that he needed to surrender his life. And as he surrendered it, it's amazing how Jesus, over the course of his life, lifted him up. See, ultimately, all that we face and the injustice that we face can be our, make, can be our making and our shaping as we submit to its process of pruning us and see that as we surrender to him, he doesn't keep us down, he lifts us up. Because as much as that injustice is towards us, it's also within us. That he wants to take away the rubbish of overreaction and victim attitudes and clean up our act so that we can function as an unoffendable person so we can rise above the world and not just live blessed, but a blessing to others. Does that make sense this morning? But it all comes when we surrender our lives and say, more of you, less of me in my life. And when we come across our unjust acts that happen to us or situations that come our way, I, 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 more and more I try to be my first thought, why is this happening? What can I need to learn from this? Because we can get all upset with everybody else, but we never, one, take a little look at our reflection moment of ourselves. And number two, we never surrender to God. And He just wants us to surrender our heart because when we surrender it, it's amazing how a bowed heart, he can, he can mold and shape and make a person unoffendable, you know, clean up the inside of us so we don't have anxiety and revenge and anger and bitterness, sorts it out and, and presents us and raises us up. Because he said that, he, David said it, you know, you're the glory and the lifter of my head. God never wants us to surrender so we stay low and, and down and out. No, he always wants us to surrender him so that we can be lifted up. Peter learned that. Many people have learned that. And as the singers come and as the team comes this morning, Here's my third point. Do we surrender to God so that you can rise again? Do you? You see, folks, we all have been hurt by what we sense is wrong and unjust at times. Maybe today you still have feelings of revenge and unforgiveness and, you know, all that. What can we do? Don't let your mind magnify the problem. Don't believe the lie that God doesn't care. And do surrender to God as you can. He can raise you up. He can raise you up. Could we uh, stand today as we close with a worship song? There's someone, um, maybe one more than one person today, let me say that you identify uh, with the situations of just the struggle you face at this moment what I was just sharing, there's a struggle. Maybe it is an unjust struggle that you, something unjust has happened to you. But what you need to identify is, and you've been asking God, where's the answers? Where's the, the, where, where's the hope? Can you just share with me? I just need an out here. And at the moment, it's not coming. That's because God has gone before you. And it's not for now, but there's, there's times in this, maybe this week or this month or the, even the rest of this year, where you'll look back sometime in the future and you say, oh, that's what God was doing. But God would ask of you at the moment just to surrender it to Him and not hold on or harbor it, but to release it. And if today you need to release 
that or you just need to surrender to Him or you just need to come before Him today. As we worship in this last song, I invite you just to come and stand before Him today at the front. And sometimes it takes more than just a, a, just a, a standing where you are. It takes a little bit of putting some feet to your faith and saying, Father, just, I just come and give that over. And it's just coming and standing as we worship in this last song and giving it over to Him today. Being willing to say, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I just want to be right with my Heavenly Father. I just want to release this. I can't continue to harbor. It wants to eat me up on the inside. This, this, you know, anger sometimes or this worry or this anxiety, this stress. And I surrender it. So I invite you today as we sing this song, to just come and just for worship Him out here. Instead of worshiping there, worship Him at the front and just come before Him. And as you come, you'll be saying, God, I give it over. I just surrender it today. So can we do that? Thanks, team. Let's just worship this morning. Let's be real with God because He's here. He wants to speak into your lives. He wants to touch your heart. Holy Spirit. Um, someone today is just fearful of the immediate future because you're not sure how it's going to unfold. Can I just encourage you that as you would surrender, it's amazing how God can give you incredible peace and joy in that. Because He doesn't want you to live in fear of that which may be when it may never be. He wants you to trust Him. Because that's what my message entitled, Trusting Him in the Unjust Moments of Life. So whoever that's for today, just receive that. Come on. And I'm gonna live like my King is risen. Gonna preach to my soul that you already won. And you know I can't see it. And I'm gonna keep believing that every promise you made. Lord. I give you my worship. You still deserve it. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of my song. I pour out your praises in blessing and breaking. You're worthy. You're worthy. 
Today, as these precious folks stand here before you this front, I just thank you. Those we just humbly bow before you, that you are incredibly worthy. And, and, and it's true that we're not, but did you make us worthy because of your, what your Jesus Christ done for us? He, he created righteousness for us, even though we're not. And we become right with you when we surrender to you, Lord, because you see us as right. And we thank you for that, even in our imperfection. We need you. And this is not a groveling to you, God, or, but it's just a humbly bowing our hearts and saying we need you in life. We just need you in our lives. Every aspect of it, whether at work or at home or at play or family or friends, we just need you. And, and Lord, help us to be people that would Lord, not let the problem be magnified. And, and, and certainly, Father God, allow uh, you to work within us and surrender daily even sometimes what we face and the feelings we have. And not believe the lie, God, that, the, that you don't care for us because you incredibly much, so much care you have for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that mercy you give us. And I commit these precious lives right now to you at the front. Ask your hand, Holy Spirit, just they know that they know of your love and mercy towards them today and that you want to direct and lead them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Have a great day. Why don't you just encourage someone today before you leave? Yeah.